everybody, and welcome to another episode of my weekly show. And I promise from now on it will be weekly again. As you know, I've been a little bit busy over the past uh, half a year, <laughs> renovating the house and moving in. But the dust is slowly settling down and I'm getting back in the saddle. This episode is brought to you thanks to my patrons over at patreon.com slash fatherroderick. If you join that community, not only are you supporting me, but you get something in return as well. Every week I record a, a, a separate show, especially and exclusively for my patron supporters as a thank you. It's called Father Roderick to the Max, and later on in this episode I will mention a few of the topics that I will talk about in that episode. But they make it possible for you to listen to this podcast or to watch it on YouTube. So thank you very much for your support. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. So we're approaching the end of the year already. I can't believe how quickly these last months are passing by. I'm, I'm already hearing the first Christmas songs on the radio. It's insane. Um, in a few weeks from now, well, two weeks from now, I think we're starting Advent already. And then Christmas is just around the corner. And then it's the new year. For me, this, this past year has been insane. It's, of course, because I got COVID, but then also because I had to move. We are, we're renovating this house where I'm currently podcasting from for more than six months. I just moved in. Um, and then that is just my personal circumstances. But then also work-wise, everything is changing. And I basically have to kind of let go of everything that I thought I would be doing this year and next year. Um, because things are changing. My TV broadcasting company, for which I make my TV show, um, has told me that they're going to replace my show with a new format in which I have a very different role. I will just be one of the recurring people in that show. Um, and so it won't be that weekly cadence of like 30 episodes per year, like 30 documentaries of half an hour that I would used to make. So that also means, of course... Uh, that my income will change because that was how I was able to pay the bills. And then, of course, thankfully, I had the community of patrons, but that does not cover all the costs. So this upcoming year, I'll have to make sure that I expand my my reach and, and that I grow the community of patrons because... Um, the television work is no will no longer be a source of income for me. On the other hand, it also frees me up tremendously because creating a, a, a television episode every week, especially if you produce everything yourself like I do, I film, I interview, I do the editing. This past half year, I had to outsource a lot of the work because there was just not enough time and I was so consumed by all the work here to make the house ready for me to move in. Um, but normally I would produce uh, almost all these episodes by myself. All that time, and that's usually, well, that's easily five days a week that I was working on the TV work. All the other stuff that I did on YouTube, these podcasts, that was all done uh, in my spare time and sometimes when I should be sleeping. So... Oh, there's going to be a huge amount of time that is now going to be freed up next year so I can work on projects that will benefit you 
immediately, directly, and I'm so excited that the work that I used to do just for the Dutch audience, which was considerable because it wasn't public TV, so you would easily have like 80,000 people watching that this, but I can now make the same programs with the same quality, but then I can make it for an international audience. Now, that, of course, is not an instant audience like I have on TV. Um, it is a, an audience to conquer, to find, and I'll be... Uh, hopefully I will be able to count on your help as well to spread the word and to help people find the YouTube channel and help them get involved and uh, otherwise you know there's so much out there when it comes to social media so it's very hard for a simple priest like me who doesn't have a huge organization behind him who does all the marketing I don't have a Netflix uh, uh, deal or anything it's very hard to get noticed but I know that the quality of what I make is going to be really really good and i'm super excited about the ideas that i have for next year and, and i'm most excited that i will finally have the time in the room in my life to share it with you uh, and to bring this whole experience for you as a follower of me to to the next level you'll be able to 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 see my documentaries uh, without you know listening to this strange klingon like dutch uh, language <laughs> if you've ever seen one of my tv shows via the the online uh, streaming uh website then you know you could sure, sure you can watch the 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 images but you can't understand it unless you are dutch or speak dutch all right so exciting things but it's also an exercise in letting go everything that i used to build my life upon is now gone. My parish is no longer there. I don't have the friends anymore. So my social uh, circle is is very very small right now. Um, I've lost my my house, my home. I'm losing my job in a certain way. But what remains is you as a community, my podcast listeners, and you. Many of you have been there since since forever, since through that. 2005. That's how long I've been doing this this stuff. So that for me is a huge reassurance and and gives me a certain continuity even though a lot of the other stuff is shifting how do you not like movies they're predictable like the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and darth vader is luke's father not liking movies is like not liking puppies they're fine i just get bored and never make it to the end you know you need a movie education you need a movication i'm gonna give it to you all right, let's talk Harry Potter because I saw the most amazing news uh, just today. Um, and apparently, I heard it actually on my Google Home. I've got this uh, news bulletin that always runs. I usually activate it a few times a day. So I hear a number of short shows about the news. And in one of these, I think it was IGN or something like that, they were talking about um, the original director, Chris Columbus, who directed the first Harry Potter movie, and I think he's always stayed involved in the Harry Potter franchise. Um, he, because now there is this jubilee, right, of, um, of Harry Potter, um, how many years? I don't recall, it's like 20 years ago that the, the first movie premiered. So they're celebrating that. There's going to be a reunion with the, the, the core actors that played in all these Harry Potter movies, so that's going to be cool. Um, but Chris Columbus has said there is a lot of material, leftover material that we cut out of the first movie, The Philosopher's Stone or The Sorcerer's Stone, 
that nobody ever watched. And this is actually good stuff because we tested it out in movie theaters. So what normally be, before they premiere a movie, they have these test audiences and they will show a, a rough cut of the movie and then they will have in inquiries or um, you know question lists and people will say, well, hey, I didn't understand this plot point or I need more information about this character because he came out of the blue or stuff like well, the movie was too long. And apparently, according to Chris Columbus, when they did the research on a three-hour version of the Philosopher's Stone, or Sorcerer's Stone, uh, the, 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 the feedback that they got from parents was that the movie was way too long. The feedback that they got from children in the test audience was, the movie is way too short. I think the movie right now totals about 150 minutes. So it's it's long. I mean, that's two and a half hours. That is pretty long. It's actually, I think, the longest Harry Potter movie. But it never felt like that. Uh, and I, I'm pretty sure that if you've seen that first movie, you don't remember it as, a, as being long at all. In fact, I, I, when I saw it in theaters, I saw this when I was studying in Rome, um, and I was very much behind on the the hype of for Harry Potter because I was studying in Rome. I kind of missed the boat when it came to the books, and so I I I caught up. And while I was in Rome, I went to uh, the only theater that I could find that had uh, English spoken, non dubbed versions of the of the popular movies. So otherwise, I'd would have watched, uh, you know, Harry Potter e la Pietra Filosofale, or something like that. Uh, but thankfully, there was one, this one movie theater where, where they had the English version, maybe with Italian subtitles, I don't recall. But anyway, I thought that movie just flew by, and then I read the book, and I was like, wow, there's so much more in the book that we did not see in the movie. So I always remembered the movie as being short. Well, it turns out, I actually was right. There was a lot of material that they cut cut from the original, you know, three-hour version because people were concerned that it would be too long for families. And, well, a family, of course, is to children. They were all like, give us more. But also the parents, they pay for the tickets, right? So that's the... That's the demographic you have to please. So according to Chris Columbus, there is, for instance, an entire plot line featuring, uh, what's his name, Peeves. Uh, who is like this ghost, and he's pretty important in, in the book, but he was completely left out on the cutting room floor. Um, it's, it's a little bit like Tom Bombadil in the Lord of the Rings movies. He's nowhere to be seen. Originally, they wanted to include him in the story, but, well, he, he it even never even got filmed. Hopefully, actually, uh, they will reintroduce Tom Bombadil in the series that they're currently producing. For, for Amazon, for, for Prime Video. Um, but the, 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 the material for, Harry, for the Harry Potter movie was filmed. I'm not sure if the, um, the special effects were, were done, but that's not a problem. Actually, I can imagine that if, you, if they would re-release this never-before-seen never version of Harry Potter, um, and they would refine the make a, almost do like a special edition where they would, could also redo some of the special effects or, or brush up the special effects that at the time were pretty impressive but now some of them not all of them but some of them uh look a bit dated 
I think that people would go out in droves and watch that. So I always wonder, you know, when someone as high profile as Chris Columbus says something like that in public, that's not a spur of the moment thing. That is probably because he is already kind of preparing this to happen. This is, remember the the Schneider cut of um, uh, the, uh, the, the, the league, the, uh, what was it? The Justice League uh, movie. Um, he started to mention this. Well, there's actually a version of this movie that is, that isn't half as bad as the one that you've seen. And I'm, I'm willing to put it together. Uh, but he deliberately put it out there so that the fan base would rally and 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 together started put, putting pressure on I think that's also Warner, isn't it? Anyway, so like there is money to be made here. There is a demographic that will buy this movie, will watch it. So that's ultimately why they decided, well, let's go ahead with this Schneider cut. Uh, even though maybe they didn't think it was such a priority, but this is a, uh, unfortunately an industry where it's mostly about money, ultimately. Sure, it's a creative industry, but whether something creative will get done or not, that depends on how much money it will bring in. So I am super excited. I couldn't, and, and then there was this other rumor uh, that they wanted to make a movie version of the, um, the Cursed Child, you know, the, 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 the theater play that was written um, about... Harry Potter and the others, 20 years after the events in the movies. And the current actors would be the perfect age for that story. So I've always, I've never read the script. I've never seen the the, the production. Um, from what I've heard, it is pretty bad. Um, and it's, it's, oh, it's a very far below uh, the quality of the Harry Potter books. But I'm thinking if they could do a movie version, then of course they can also fix the things that don't really work in that story. So I'd say go for it. The more, I mean, I'm, I like what they do with the Fantastic Beasts uh, stories. But that's exactly how I say it. I like it. I don't love it. I'm, I'm, it's not like, oh, I'm, I'm, I've rewatched those movies time and again, which I have done with Harry Potter movies, and I have reread the books multiple times. I, I'm just not interested in the Fantastic Beast universe. It's just not working for me. And of course, maybe that will also get better over time, but with the kids from Harry Potter, you have this established franchise that people, a new generation will love, but also the older generation will go watch it out of nostalgia. This has uh, marked the childhood of so many of us. And in my case, it wasn't my childhood. <laughs> it was my, my younger years as a priest. But I would still really, really love to go back in, 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 and go, almost go back in time and re-experience the excitement that I felt when I saw that first movie. But anyway, speaking of film industry money problems, for months... They've been hyping, Paramount has been hyping uh, the next season of Star Trek Discovery. 
Now, Star Trek Discovery is the highest profile series uh, based on Star Trek characters. Of course, you've got Picard, you've got Lower Decks, um, and then there's this new series featuring a hologram of Captain Janeway geared towards kids. It's a little bit, you know, animation-wise, looks uh, reminds me a bit of, of what, what uh, Disney is doing with Clone Wars or Lucasfilm is doing with the Clone Wars and with uh, the Bad Batch and stuff. Um, uh, but... It's it's all over the place, you know. If you want to watch Picard, you, you got to be you have to subscribe to Amazon, Amazon Prime. If you want to watch, uh, um, or if you wanted to watch Discovery, it was Netflix. The th- and and I I'm not even sure about the um, animated series where I don't think you can watch that anywhere here in in Europe at least. Um, so it's probably on just on Paramount Plus, which is a streaming platform, another streaming platform. Uh, that they launched a couple of years ago. Uh, or actually, I think it was already there, and then they renamed it into Paramount+. Plus. It's in the U.S., and they have plans to roll it out in other parts of the world uh, as well. Kind of makes sense. Everybody wants a piece of the pie. Although there is, I think, a diminishing uh, return on investment. Uh, Disney, of course, had so much IP, intellectual property, that that couldn't fail. Um, so Disney obviously was 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 very quickly one of the biggest platforms. Apple has been struggling way more, even though Apple has tremendous good shows on Apple+. Plus. Uh, Ted Lasso, of course, is fantastic. Um, I recently started watching Foundation, which is based on the uh, Isaac Asimov books, which I've not read, but the first episode of that series is just completely blew me away. The production value... Um, there, so there are good a number of good shows on Apple, but I think if Apple didn't hadn't given away the first year for free to those that bought an iPhone or an iPad or another Apple device, I don't think they would have been able to to um, get into that market. And it's still, of course, a, a question mark whether they will that whether people will renew their subscription after a year after that first free year. Um, so Paramount Plus, yeah, good luck, guys. And of course, Paramount has a number of of movies and intellectual properties that people enjoy, but I'm not sure if it's enough to pay. What is it, ten bucks a month? That's another ten bucks. We already have so many of these subscriptions, and so the the what was really terrible for Star Trek fans, and I'm one of them, was that after all this hype, all this excitement about the fourth season of Star Trek Discovery, um, two days before the premiere. There is this notice appearing on social media that to all our international Star Trek fans, well, uh, bad luck, guys. We're pulling this show from Netflix. And the only way you'll be able to see this, unless you already are in the United States and you have a subscription to Paramount+, Plus, is to wait for us to introduce Paramount+, Plus over in Europe, which we're going to do sometime in 2022 for some countries and if you don't live in those countries or you don't want to wait then that's just your bad luck and 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 then they also removed all the previous seasons from netflix now of course this is not just paramount that is doing this this is these negotiations probably have been going on for for a, a few months and they've been hyping up like getting people excited netflix customers excited about the next season of star trek discovery so that they could get more money from Netflix. And Netflix 
they probably thought, well, but we, people are subscribed to us for more than just Star Trek, you know? Um, they are about to launch their huge, high-profile Wheel of Time series this Friday. I'm recording this on Thursday. This Friday, we're going to get to see the first episode of Wheel of Time. And that is so big for them and so important. This, If this becomes the next Game of Thrones, then they don't need Star Trek for people to subscribe. So maybe Netflix was thinking, well... Hey, if we premiere Star Trek this week and we also have Wheel of Time, that's gonna that's that may actually collide. That is not good. Now we can put all the emphasis on on Wheel of Time and Paramount will look like they are the the bad guys, you know, the Ferengi because <laughs> because that's basically what the, the what the the pushback has been from the fan community. People are livid. It's like, how can you do that? Why Why do you tell us to go watch it if we can't watch it? And and so a lot of people are like, well, you're condemning us to piracy, which of course is not true. You have a choice. You can also just wait. Um, but it's from a from a business point of view, I, I don't think this is a very smart move. It is making, it's associating a very, very bad taste from Star Trek fans, which is your core audience. You need that for the franchise. But it, they will associate that bad taste that they currently have, that, that, that feeling of frustration with the brand Paramount+. Plus. Whereas Netflix is like, don't look at us. We They want to do this Paramount thing, so we just let them go. Now, I don't know if it went like that, but this is how it plays out. So... I don't think it's a smart move. Never burn a bridge before you've built another one, right? Oh, well. But it all comes down to money. Would you pay for an extra, another subscription, even though they will probably now bring all the Star Trek stuff together on Paramount+. Plus? But if you like Star Trek, would you actually be willing to pay for another subscription service? Or are you like, Enough. I'll just buy the Blu-rays if they come out. Um, a similar uh, situation with Doctor Who. Doctor Who was on, I think it was on Netflix first, and then it went to Amazon Prime. But they never showed us the last seasons with the new Doctor, the female Doctor. Um, so those you cannot watch them. You have to have you have to live in the UK, um, have this uh, subscription to their BBC iPlayer. Uh, which not many people have. And so if you want to watch these more recent seasons, I think you have to buy the Blu-rays, which are huge, very expensive. Or you have to buy the episodes maybe on Apple. I don't even know. I, I've never really looked into it because I was just hoping that they would appear eventually on Amazon Prime, but it's been more than two years with no new Doctor Who episodes. So now I'm starting to look around. How can I how can I watch these episodes? Because I'm a Doctor Who fan as well, but I'm starting to lose interest in the franchise. The harder you make it, the less ultimately, the less of a market you will you will have. It's not that people have nothing else to watch, right? Anyway. 
Hey, a quick review before I move on to the next segment. There's this movie on Netflix, if you are, are subscribed to Netflix, uh, that, that, that popped up on the front page. And so I, I checked it out. It looked interesting. Called Red Notice. And it is uh, a very, very fun movie. It surprised me. I, I didn't even know that they were planning on, um, on, on launching that movie. Um, I think actually I'm able to play this um, on the. Let me let me check this out. I think there is a po possibility for me to play the the sound and also project the screen. Let me see if that works. I'm testing out my new. Oh wait a minute, no, this, this is not going to work because I apparently I moved my browser window. So then the insert that I created on my screen which the youtube viewers will be able to see right now it just messed everything up uh yeah it's very difficult to to do any type of like in in stream presentation uh for some reason well let me see if i if i reload the page for some reason the, the computer is getting very slow as well maybe i'll be able to play it and you'll be able to listen to the audio of the trailer Nah, it's not even working. Oh. Well, at least we have Nolan audio. Bruce, the second most wanted art thief in the world. <laughs> Special Agent John Hartley. FBI. Okay, I apologize. There's no image. <laughs> For those of you that are watching William this. William Strang's Lady with the Red Hat from the tape. You can't prove that was me. Got that on Etsy. I want you to help me catch the most wanted art. Oh, that was it. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I was closing the browser window because I noticed that my stream got very choppy, probably because the computer was, I'm using this very old, like seven-year-old iMac. So it just couldn't couldn't do both things, play the video and then play the sound. And so anyway, but Red Notice is definitely worth your time. Check it out. It is uh, it features The Rock um, and also uh, what's his name? Oh, I also closed that window. Great, Father Roderick. You're just all my show notes are gone as well. <laughs> it's Ryan Reynolds who is, of course, right now one of the most popular actors. Um, many know them from Deadpool, but he's been in, um, in uh, what was it, the, the other movie that I reviewed the other day? Um, not Lucky Guy. Oh, what was it? Gosh, I, I love that movie, and I can't remember the name. What, what is this? Uh, 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 um. So he's been in Deadpool, The Proposal, Deadpool 2. Uh, holy cow. Free Guy. I was like, what's something with Guy? Free Guy. Love that movie. But anyway, he's also in this movie. Um, so he plays opposite The Rock. And then they've got Gal Gadot as well. Wonder Woman. The, well, the actress who plays Wonder Woman. She plays a character called The Bishop. And this is all, it's a bit of a, it kind of wants to be a heist movie. So it's about these three eggs of Cleo Cleopatra, Cleopatra or Cleopatra in English. I don't know. Anyway, uh, so there are these old artifacts and 
there is this thief, Ryan Reynolds' character, Nolan Booth, who wants to steal those eggs and sell them to the highest bidder. But also Gal Gadot's character is after these same eggs. And Dwayne Johnson's character, John Hartley, uh, is trying to prevent it uh, because he works for the FBI, apparently. Um, but instead of a heist movie, actually, this there is one movie that this particular movie reminded me of, and that is Indiana Jones. And there are very deliberate references to the Indiana Jones franchise. There are some other in-jokes in as well. Um, but the chemistry is great. I love the the chemistry between The Rock and, and Ryan Reynolds. That works really well. Actually, it's uh, it's... It's even it's on par, you know. Normally with Ryan Reynolds, you're always kind of expecting that he will take the lead. But The Rock is also his comedic timing is pretty good as well. And he's of course a huge imposing figure in any movie that he plays in. Like Jungle Cruise. Jungle Cruise was all about uh, Dwayne Johnson. Um this this movie it's much more the balance is much better, I think. And also Gal Gadot's character is is very prominent uh, and and very good as well, and and it just works. It it's such a fun movie. When you see the trailer, you're like, yeah, yeah. But the movie itself is actually way better than than I first thought after having seen the trailer. It's it's the most most expensive movie that Netflix has ever made, and again, you wouldn't able to tell from the trailer but if you watch the movie you're like oh my goodness yeah this could have been a theatrical release and it would have been a huge hit this could have been disney instead it's netflix but go watch it i'm sure you will enjoy it if you uh, trust my reviews um it's a popcorn movie i mean it doesn't go very deep but it still has that same Indiana Jones vibe, and it's just a fun movie, and, and also a movie you can watch several times, even though there are some plot twists that I think the second time will be less um, less surprising, of course. But still, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely worth your time. So it's called Red Notice. <laughs> Catholics rock! Here at The Peculiar Bunch, we're always happy to tell you everything you always wanted to know about Catholics and their weird traditions, but you were afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? Today I want to explain something about uh, that, that immediately concerns my state of life, and that is the topic of ordination. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than blockbuster video. Now, you know that for the past half year, I've been staying at the rectory of Father Henry, and I wasn't the only person who stayed at his house. There's also, there are two Italian students. Um, well, actually, they're no longer students. They already have a job in the Netherlands, but they are from Italy. Um, Luigi and Michele. Um, and then there is uh, Eric, who is who did his internship in, in Father Henry's parish. Um, and stayed during that time he stayed at the rectory. But he's now also been nominated as a future priest um, at the, in, in the same parish. And they're looking for a, a home for him as well, a, a rectory. Uh, but that may still take some time. So he, too, stays at the rectory. 
um, Eric is a great guy. He's he's actually uh, uh, studied law. Uh, so he's had already a career before he got the vocation to, be, to become a priest. And, uh, and what, what's also very cool is he's a huge fan of board games. He is, he's read the entire Wheel of Time. Um, he's a huge fan of movies. So uh, there's not a single book that he hasn't read. It's insane. So we have a lot in common. Um, and this past weekend on Saturday, he was ordained a deacon in, at the cathedral. Now, you may wonder, if you're not familiar with the Catholic tradition, or you need to, to brush up on that, why a deacon? He wanted to become a priest. Why do they ordain him a deacon? Well, this is what is called a transitional deacon. So, it's a transitional phase. The first uh, ordination, before you become a priest, is uh, you, you become ordained uh, a deacon. Now, deacons are already mentioned in in the uh, New Testament. Um, and the, the occasion is uh, described in the Acts of the Apostles, where you, you've got these apostles, right? They've been very close to, to Jesus for most of their adult life, well, at least for these the number of years that they've, they've been following him. And then afterwards, of course, when Jesus is no longer there, they kind of take over. They are the first, the, the apostle, the first priests, you could say, or the first bishops, the, our current bishops are still the uh, the inheritance. Uh, the, how do you say that? They they they've been ordained by ultimately uh, generations before them that have been originally ordained by the apostles. So ordination is something you already see described uh, when it comes to the bishops. So they they for instance. You've got um, uh, Judas, who, of course, is dead at one point. They still feel they, they need a replacement. So they choose another person to step into that role, and then he is ordained, and so he's now one of the apostles. And then this ordination involves a prayer, uh, because, of course, it's not... It's not just a function. It's not just a job. Like where where you have a, a job interview and then we, we will hire you. No, it's an ordination. An ordination means ordinare is to to um, uh, to direct something for a specific task or job. It's it's, it's to dedicate someone to. Mm, how would you say that? To to almost to reserve someone for a special function or a special state of life because of course uh, being a bishop is not it's not just a job it's it's something you become so an ordination is always almost like transformational event in which you are no longer the old you but you become entirely 100% dedicated to the task that is given to you so the task is um is all-encompassing. It's not just something you do from 9 to 5, even though, of course, we're encouraged to also sleep and and spend time relaxing and reading books. But it is not something... I, I don't switch off being a priest at 5 o'clock or when I'm done with this podcast. No, I am a priest day and night for the rest of eternity, in fact. So it's also what we call in, in theology and philosophy, it's an ontological event, an ordination. It changes something in the core of who you are. And so um, the, in, in the 
uh, New Testament, you see this description in the Acts of the Apostles of, the, of these newer bishops. You have the, uh, the, pr- the first priests that start to emerge. And then at one point, there, is, there are so many needs in those early Christian communities, especially social needs. You know, the widows, the people with the people that are sick, the people that struggle with life or the poor. And a lot of the bishops and priests are overburdened. It's, there's so much for them to do, uh, teaching, uh, liturgy tasks, uh, you know, all these. But then you also have this, you're taking care of people. And that's when they decide to ordain certain people for the job, for the life of as a deacon. And the deacons are supposed to do what the priests can't do, not because they don't want to or they don't have the ability, but, but because the day just has 24 hours and the need is so great. So these deacons are tasked with uh, a number of things. Of course, they teach, just like priests. They, they preach. Um, um, a deacon can, can preach during Mass, can, can do a homily. Um, so they can explain the faith. Uh, they have certain liturgical tasks. For instance, a deacon is allowed to um, to to perform baptisms, uh, to administer the sacrament of baptism. He can be witness for a wedding, um, but he can't celebrate the Eucharist. That is something that only priests can do. You have to have this other ordination for that uh, to be possible. And then, of course, a bishop is is a, a third ordination, and a bishop can do everything. So he's like the top level, <laughs> you know, like medium level is priest, top level is bishop. And so, for instance, a bishop can ordain another bishop. A priest cannot do that. And a deacon, so you've got that. But that's, that's like a hierarch, hierarchical. <laughs> that is like a, almost as if you're looking at it as a video game. Um, but it's also... Every state of life has different has a different goal, a different type of work. And so the reason that before you become ordained a priest, you are first ordained a deacon is because of the of the importance of this of of the caring aspects of uh, of ordination. Um, that God wants us first and foremost to be servants of the people, to be close to people, to help them. And that's, that's another very important function and, and dimension of the deaconate, is not just to do liturgical stuff and to pray and to teach, but also to take care of people in need. That's very practical. You know, go visit the, the people that are sick. Go support and help uh, the widows and people that are, have lost their job, stuff like that. Um, and so I, I always thought it was uh, uh, beautiful that you are first ordained a deacon because that is kind of the, that's the basic ingredient of any state of life in the church. It's, you are here to serve, to help other people. And then some of these deacons, the transitional deacons, will also receive the ordination to become a priest. That's not just a level up, but you retain all the, the duties and tasks of the previous level. So you are still a deacon, even though you are now ordained a priest, and you can do more than that. Um, and then you have also what we call permanent deacons, and they will not receive the ordination to become a priest. Um, it's sometimes possible, sometimes a, per, a permanent deacon. For instance, if uh, th- those can also be married, um, 
transitional deacons not, because they will ultimately, of course, become uh, ordained priests, which in the uh, Latin, according to the Latin rite, have to live a celibate life. Um, but permanent deacons can be married, and sometimes it happens that th their partner will die, and then they could apply to be ordained a, a priest. But that is, that's rare. It does happen from time to time. So Eric is a transitional deacon, and in about half a year from now, uh, if everything goes well, um, and he will be ordained a priest, and then he will um, have basically the same functions as I have and Father Henry has. The, the other difference is you can be a priest and still have non-parishional duties. So in my case, I am a priest, but I'm not a pastor. Um, in a sense, I, in, in, in a, 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 Father Henry is the pastor. This is the main He is the, the uh, by law, the responsible person for the entire functioning of the parish. So he takes the decisions. My work is in the media. So I've got a evangelizing role. And, of course, I assist in the parishes, but I have no say in, well, not I do have a say in some things, but uh, I'm, not, I'm not directing the, the parish. I'm not running the parish. That is a job for Father Henry. And then uh, Eric, when he's ordained, um, uh, he will be, an well, an, we call it actually a parish vicar, uh, in, in, in canon law, so that's church law. So he is representing um, the pastor, you could say, helping him. So that is, um, that's the difference with me. I'm, I can spend 100% of my time uh, creating media and doing this sort of stuff, you know, recording podcasts and making TV shows. But at the same time, I still remain a priest. So it's not, again, it's not just a job, it's a state of life. And, uh, and, and the final thing I want to say is uh, ordination, in, according to the Catholic uh, uh, doctrine, is, is one sacrament. You've got seven sacraments, right? So ordination itself is one sacrament, but, as I explained before, you still have three, you could say, degrees of ordination, three types of ordination. You've got the, the ordination to become a deacon, then you've got the uh, priestly ordination, and then you have the ordination to become a bishop. You may think, Father Roderick, you're forgetting one. There is the upper, upper top level, level cap, is the guy with the white cassock on St. Peter's Square, the Pope. Is, is, you know, at level cap, do you get an ordination to become a Pope? No. In fact, no, absolutely not. The Pope is also a bishop. That is his ordination. He is originally and was and is the Bishop of Rome. And so in Latin, you would say the, he, he is just like Peter was one of the apostles. And at the same time, he was chosen by Jesus to be the one who leads the other apostles, who leads the church. Um, so he has a, um, let's say, a, 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 a even more responsibility, but he is still an apostle like the others. So in this case, uh, a, a, the Pope is the Bishop of Rome, and historically, ever since Peter, 
one of these apostles and successors of the apostles had to lead the pack, right? So there is leadership involved, but it does not make him something different, something other than a bishop. So what about cardinals? Cardinals, that's also not an ordination. A cardinal is usually a bishop, even though technically, according to canon law, that is not an, an, uh, an absolute requirement, but in current law, uh, you have to be, be ordained a bishop before you can become a cardinal. But the cardinals originally were just the assistant priests of the Bishop of Rome. So they, that's why every cardinal still has his own church in Rome. It's symbolic because these cardinals are everywhere in the world, but when they go to Rome, they still have their parish church because formerly they are the pastors of the various parishes of Rome, assisting uh, the Bishop of Rome, the Pope himself. So the, the visual aspect, the white cassock, all that is just historical. You know, a few centuries ago, Pope did not wear white. That is very recent. It was because one of the more newer popes was a Dominican, I think, and then he was just walking around in his white cassock, and then they just kept that color to distinguish him from the other bishops. But in, in earlier times and centuries, the pope would look just like any other bishop. Maybe he would have a little bit more personnel. I, I'm not sure about that. So hopefully that kind of clears it up a little bit. Uh, a short compendium of um, all these different types of ordinations that we have in the Catholic Church. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? Hey, before I um, tell you about the books that I've been reading, uh, just a quick thing that I forgot to mention in the movies and TV segment, because it was already so long. Uh, of course, the, the, the official trailer for Spider-Man No Way Home is out, and some of you in the chat are now asking me about that. Have you seen it? What do you think of it? Go watch my reaction video on YouTube. It's on the same channel as all the other stuff, um, and it's just one of those reaction videos. You, you know the drill. I get excited, and then some. So, <laughs> But I love it, and I think it's going to be maybe the best Spider-Man movie ever. That's just, that's my hope. Um, all right, books. So uh, because of how busy my life is and has been for the past few weeks, I've not had that much time to read. I've been listening to a few audiobooks, but I'm also not training very much. I just ran a marathon a few weeks ago, and I was always listening to audiobooks while preparing for that marathon. But now I'm in recovery mode, so I do these very short runs, like half an hour, and it's it's just too short to uh, start an audiobook. I did um, read one book, which I also talk about in the last week's episode of The Walk, which is another podcast, in case you don't know what that is. Just look for The Walk with Father Roderick. Um, and it's called The Compound Effect. It's a very interesting book. It's nonfiction. Uh, it sounds like a science fiction novel, right? The Compound Effect. Or it could be a movie, uh, like this B, B movie with featuring unknown actors, The Compound Effect. Now on VHS. Um, but it is actually a book about something that I've been uh, applying to my life for m about a year now, and that is uh, small habits. So it, change, if you want to reach big goals, you got to start small. 
And the idea is if you make a small change, but you do that consistently over time, that will make your life very, very different. Uh, one of the examples in the book is uh, if you could choose between um, a... Uh, Either you get $1 million right now, you just get a cash, or, or the other choice is you get one penny that will double in value every week for a month. What would you choose? I didn't do the calculation. Maybe it's slightly different, but anyway, the... The actual, the right answer is you got to take that penny because it will continue to grow over time and it will be worth way more than the one million cash in one time. And he uses that example to apply it to uh, to our habits. Small habits can go a long way into completely transforming your life. And the cool thing about the compound effect is it's like this 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 little change just amasses. Uh, uh, energy and strength and, and af uh, efficacy, uh, efficacy, efficacy, um, and, and, and I always think of how I got into running. When I tell people, uh, the other day actually, I for the first time in my life, I, I joined a running club. Uh, one of one of the parishioners that works here uh, was interviewing me for the local uh, parish bulletin, and and he had heard that I had ran run the marathon of Rotterdam. So he said, I do workshops. I, I, it's my job as a, I'm a running instructor. So join us. And I was like, oh, I've always done this alone by myself. So I, the other day I was uh, joining this, uh, this group of runners. So I told some of them that I'd been running a marathon and they were like, oh my goodness. Some of them all just started running like two years ago. I was like, but how do you do this? It's so, there's such a huge distance. And I said, well, it's actually very simple. I just at one point in my life, I was like, I'm just going to run. I'd never run before. But I was like, I just downloaded this schedule. I bought some running shoes and I just did one kilometer and I thought I was going to die. And then the next day I did that same kilometer and I felt little, a little less like dying there on the spot. And then a week later, I could run three kilometers and then some. And then over time, I noticed that if you, if you do that, on a, and the consistency of the habit, of course, is the biggest, the biggest game changer. I've been doing this for more than 10 years now. And by constantly going out to run and following the schedule, and it's just a part of my routines, you just can run longer and longer. You become stronger. You start to lose weight. You have this energy. You start to enjoy it. It also, running does a lot of stuff chemically in your brain. So it, 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 it had such a massive impact on my entire life that I, I was hooked. And then there, there is nothing to it. Running a marathon, it's easy. It's easy because you can just do a little bit every day and then after, what is it, 18 weeks, you can run a marathon. Anyone can run a marathon. Well, anyone who, who is physically healthy and, and <laughs> has the, the, the joints that can support them. Um, but it's not much of a big deal. But, of course, when you see me running the marathon, you may think, well, that's 42 kilometers and then some. Um, but what you don't see on the day of the run is that I've trained five times every week for 18 weeks. So 
in total, you run, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of kilometers before you run those last 42 kilometers. So anyway, the book is about that. And, and in, in the walk, I explain something else that the book made clear to me. Um, I won't go over it here. But that was such an eye-opening thing that this book, because I read some other books about tiny habits. And so at first I was like, this is, sounds so much like the other books that I've read. But there was this little thing that was like, oh, wow. Now I understand why some habits don't stick and why I have so much trouble integrating some aspects, some habits into my day-to-day life. And anyway, if you want to hear the whole story, just go and listen to uh, to last week's uh, episode of The Walk. That's the book that I've been reading. And of course, well, with Wheel of Time around a corner, I'm pretty sure that after tomorrow, after seeing the Wheel of Time episode, which, by the way, I hope to be able to do a show about here on YouTube. I want to, there is a huge audience out there that needs to know how cool Wheel of Time is. So I'm thinking of doing a separate series just about these episodes, where I, same as I did with some Star Wars uh, stuff. I'll just go over each episode and, and highlight the things that I liked and things I learned from it. But anyway, um, so I'll probably be reading more, more Wheel of Time soon as well. <laughs> Well, I'm so grateful that we have some very scientific calculators in the comments section. Flying Car 100 has uh, calculated that this one penny that doubles in value for a month actually will resu- result in 10,737,000 uh, $1,418.20. So, <laughs> the book is right. You have to pick the penny. Um, anyway, the, the science uh, segment, uh, there's this one uh, bit of news that I saw, uh, which was kind of frightening, and that is that the uh, International Space Station had to shift course, actually had to go to a higher orbit because of space junk. I mean, uh, I always remember the asteroid scene in, uh, in, in, in The Empire Strikes Back. And when I saw that on the big screen as a child, I was like, oh, I didn't even know that flying in space could be so dangerous. You kind of think of space as this huge empty place. But then the asteroid field that they enter with the Millennium Falcon is just this big you know, garbage, uh, what is it? Uh, it's just full of flying garbage and, 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 and these potatoes and uh, <laughs> potato-shaped rocks. It's super dangerous. And that made me aware, like, oh, wait, wait a minute. Maybe space is not this empty. Turns out that the space around Earth is actually littered with junk. And uh, some of these objects can be super tiny. They can be less than an inch but because they are traveling, uh, they are in orbit, their speed can be extremely high. So even a tiny speck of, there are specks of paint flying around. And because of the speed, they can actually damage space stations. And it's, um, in, in this case, this was uh, debris from a satellite that was launched by China, and then they destroyed the satellite. And so there is above that area, 
apparently a whole cloud of debris with mostly tiny pieces, but also some bigger pieces. And if this International Space Station would hit it, um, it could actually threaten the life of the astronauts. So I was like, wow, what are we going to do with this? We already are littering the Earth with so much of our junk. Um, And now you can't even go to a safe orbit in space anymore without having to track all these little bits and pieces. And apparently there are scientists that are tracking every tiny little bit that is flying around there. And they have to. But there are thousands and thousands of objects that could potentially harm future uh, crews of space stations or or other, um, you know, now with the tourist industry discovering space, uh, that's a that's a lousy way of of ending your life, right? Like, uh, yeah, he he, he was uh, hoping to fly in space, and then he got hit by a by a bit of metal, <laughs> like a tight, not even a big asteroid or something spectacular that they can turn into a movie uh, later on, but uh, just uh, yeah, some leftover debris. <laughs> Someone repaired a satellite, and then they forgot a few screws and. That killed the crew. Ah. Where is the time that the only thing that could kill you in space was aliens? Ah. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you've plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well... All your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. There is one more thing that we need to talk about, and it's not Harry Potter. I apologize for those of you that have just started to listen to this or watch the stream. Uh, Life of Nate in the chat is asking, well, what does this have to do with Harry Potter? Because, of course, the image for the stream is Harry Potter. But this is, um, I'm recording a podcast right now, and so in the first part of the show, I'm talking about this news that broke that uh, Chris Columbus, the director of the first Harry Potter movie, wants to do a re-edit like a super director's cut that is three hours long. Um, So I discussed that in detail in the earlier part of this show. So my apologies, since this is live, can't tell you to scroll back. But when when I'm done, you can go back to the beginning and listen to that part of the show. That's the downside of podcasting with a live stream. what are you going to put in the title? So I'm just thinking, I'm just going to talk about Harry Potter first, so I'll just put a picture of that, and then um, my apologies that the rest is is not uh, exactly Harry Potter-themed. Um, by the way, an alternative, it's something I've, I've been pondering about, but maybe the uh, as a community you can give me some advice. Another option for me would be to not stream these entire podcasts, but just stream little bits and then just create a new stream for, you know, a, a movie review. The downside of that, of course, is that it is it makes it more, I, I become more self-aware, uh, you know, that I feel like I need talking points. Like a podcast, I, I can just chat. It just feels like having a personal conversation with you. Uh, when, I, uh, when I'm going to produce a specific video about a specific topic uh oftentimes i i have trouble putting that together because i feel like i'm underprepared imposter syndrome maybe uh and then of course i then i would have to compile all these little bits and pieces into a podcast which 
I think will break the flow, the natural flow of, an, of what is ultimately an audio production um, that is meant to be listened in, you know, almost while you are driving to work or running or walking the dog. So, but, but it's always, I know that the, these, these streams on YouTube are, are not very good for my um, overall, for the, for the YouTube channel because it's just about everything. And so it doesn't have a focus and the algorithm of YouTube doesn't know what to do with it. So, but I've been thinking about maybe, maybe doing one stream per topic and, but then I, I'm not sure if it would be the same. And then maybe I could just do podcasting in a different way, just record it as an audio. But I like the interaction with the audience, strangely enough. It helps me to to talk because I feel like I'm not talking into the void. I'm looking at a camera on a tripod, but I still, I have you in the chat room. That, that, that helps with the recording of a podcast. It changes the dynamic. Anyway, let's wrap this up uh, so people can go scroll back to the Harry Potter part of this show. Um, I've been uh, finally installing the Wi-Fi. So I've got fiber internet right now. And then the trick was to also create a mesh network for Wi-Fi. Um, it is, uh, it's harder than I thought. I only have a few wired connections in a certain certain rooms because I thought, you know, I'm going to have super fast Wi-Fi. Turns out that my old equipment, like this little laptop that I have here in front of me, is also old when it comes to Wi-Fi technology. So it's pretty slow, even though it should be able to download very fast, but it's just a Wi-Fi chip is also more than seven years old. I did not think of that. And then my PC... Uh, the one on which I'm doing the video games, and I was hoping to be able to stream also some of those video games. Uh, it's also on Wi-Fi, and it was even slower, and that is a relatively new computer. It's like three years old. And turns out that over time, your settings can actually slow down the computer, and I had to look up a tutorial on how to kind of get rid of all the old settings. So apparently the, the PC still had settings from like two, two addresses ago, you know, when I was still at the office in Amersfoort in the center of the city. And, and it, it, it somehow just couldn't deal with the new settings of the Wi-Fi here. Ah, such a pain. You just think that Wi-Fi is like water, but no, it's not. Um, I also, for the first time, saw... A, the MacBook Pro and the iPad Mini in real life. Uh, there was a store that had them, and and it was interesting. I was pleasantly surprised by the I iPad Mini. Um, I I heard that there are a lot of complaints about the refresh rates or like when you scroll the screen, it's not very smooth. Um, I didn't really notice it, but. Um, what I did notice was how good the camera was. So uh, the front camera is actually better than the camera on the MacBook Pros, which has always been this big enigma. Why does Apple put such crappy cameras in these high-end products? Insane. My phone has like five times better camera than, than their laptops. And, and it's not just about size. There are tons of laptops that have better cameras than, than Apple has. Uh, but anyway... The iPad mini has a tremendous uh, camera on the front, so it's a selfie camera, and it has technology that will actually follow you around when you're walking. And th that, for me, is interesting, because then I'm thinking of, you know, YouTube uh, uh, applications. For instance, I could 
instead of sitting at my desk with a fixed camera view, it's kind of boring to look at, of course. Um, I could be walking around, and the, even though the iPad would just be on a stand, it would still seem as if there is a cameraman. Now, the only thing with this, because Apple, it probably will only work with a few apps. And for those of you that have actually an iPad mini, I'd love to hear your feedback on this. Can you use this for streams? Or is this just something for FaceTime, which I don't use because I have more than just Apple. I have an Android phone. So I most of my friends don't have Apple equipment. So FaceTime is not a big thing here in, in Europe. Um, so, but, but I wouldn't be surprised if Apple just reserves this, uh, this cool feature just for FaceTime and maybe recording something, but not for live. You cannot use it in, on Facebook or on, 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 on Instagram or TikTok or whatever. Let me know, because if somehow this would become available for live streams, that would be, for me, an instant buy. You hear that, Apple? Make that available for YouTube streams, instant buy. I'll immediately get an iPad mini. But now, uh, I'm hesitant. The MacBook Pro, you've heard me review what I saw on the presentation um, in one of the earlier shows. I, I was very impressed. I, I thought it was great that... Not only is the computer super fast, but also has an SD port, has multiple USB-C ports. Um, I was seriously considering buying one until I saw them in real life. And I was like, mm, I'm not convinced. They are big. They're clunky. They're heavy. Especially the 16-inch, which, of course, for a video editor like me would be very... Uh, interesting it's so heavy that thing is so massive and it doesn't have the same elegance as previous uh, macbook models now of course these are designed as workhorses but for me being a the mobility is a very important factor i travel super light when i go to rome i i only take carry-on luggage so if a computer already is like five pounds I'm not going to buy it because I can't take it with me that's that's the total amount of luggage that I can bring along so I was I was comparing the MacBook Pros with the uh, the simple MacBook Air the one that has the also the M1 chip even though that only has one USB port or two USB ports um, it's so light it's so elegant and the screens are like it's almost the same uh, a very vibrant screen, very good quality. The operating system is exactly the same. And apparently the M1 is, even in these cheaper machines, is still incredibly fast compared to the generation before. So I thought I was convinced I needed a MacBook Pro. Now that I've seen these two in real life and felt how heavy they are, I'm, I'm not as sure as I was. Maybe I'll just skip another generation and wait for them to bring the the speed at least the ports bring the ports to the cheaper max um, and then also instant buy that wraps it up for today thank you so much for um, 
listening to this show. Uh, of course, for those of you that are patrons, there is another hour waiting for you called Father Roderick to the Max. And in this episode, I will give you my recipe for savory oatmeal. Yeah, sounds ugly, but it is really delicious. We'll talk about um, habits a little bit more. Um, how I use the Amazon Echo and the uh, uh, the Google Home in a in conjunction with each other. Um, so I've I've been using a, I've been installing a lot of uh, smart devices in my house. So I'll talk a little bit about that. We will continue uh, our discussion about um, superheroes and. Henry Cavill apparently wants to continue Superman's story with new movies. Is that a good idea? Um, we'll talk more about liturgy and I will give you some reviews of games that I recently played. All that and more coming up for my patrons over at patreon.com slash fatheroderick and fatheroderick to the max. Thanks for listening. See you soon. Mm-hmm.